Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 7 and then verses 11 through 16. And there are five words that start with the letter G that kind of walk us through uh, this section of Ephesians. Gave, gain, goal, grow, and go. So would you stand with me as I read in Jesus' name? Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 7. Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then jump down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for uh, what you are doing and continue to do in in the lives of students uh, and staff and dorm room leaders through Fly Beyond. We thank you for these uh, verses of Scripture and how you use them in my own life and and hopefully as well in some students. Lord, And we pray that uh, you would take this word and that you would uh, cause it to find a good place in our hearts. We know that it's only by your grace that we can do these sorts of things. It's only by your grace that we um, can receive what you have given, that we can gain, that we can achieve the goals, that we can grow, and that we can go. Again, it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verses 7 and 11 there in Ephesians chapter 4 talk about the grace of God. And it's because of his grace we focus our attention on the one who gives gifts. And the first gift that was given was the gift of grace through Jesus. It says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace has been given to us through Jesus. And this grace was given as Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins. As he hung there, all of our sin was transferred to him. He became the payment, the propitiation, Scripture calls it, for our sins. All of our sins being transferred to him. And in exchange, he gives us all of his righteousness. And he gives us as a gift, nothing that we earn, nothing that we merit within ourselves, but all because of his grace, all because of his mercy in our lives. He gives that to us. And uh, we, in turn, then get to share that grace with others. 
He also gives us gifts. In verse 11, talk about some of those gifts that he gives to the church. Four gifts that were given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And we could spend hours looking at what each one of these roles within the church does. The apostles, uh, we know as those 12 disciples of Jesus, those who were sent out on a mission, um, sent for Jesus, ambassadors for him. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus was calling his disciples together to be, to be his disciples, it said this, that, they, uh, that Jesus wanted them to be with him. That was the primary thing, that they would sit at his feet and that they would learn from him. Th- then he also sent them out to preach and to cast out demons. That's kind of cool. These, these, uh, these disciples got to be with Jesus, preaching, casting out demons, and we know after the book of Acts, after the time of the New Testament, that the, the role of the apostle was closed. There are no brand new apostles, but uh, those were, that was a closed role reserved just for the New Testament times. And he also gave the gift of prophets, it says there. He gave the apostles the prophets. And these were those who both uh, foretold the word of God, saying this is what the word of the Lord says here in Scripture, and then go and do likewise but also forth-telling, maybe telling the future. And we need to be very discerning when somebody comes to us and says, I am a prophet of God. I am the only conduit through which God can give revelation. We need to be very cautious about that. It also says in verse 11 that he gave evangelists. These were the traveling missionaries of the day. And today uh, in church we prayed for Andrew and Alexis Olson and Tomas and Miriam Shamil. These are our modern-day evangelists, missionaries, carrying out the Great Commission. And then he also talks in verse 11 about the shepherd teachers that he gave. These are pastors of, of the local congregation who equip the flock of God, who take care of the flock of God. But beyond those gifts, each believer has been given a spiritual gift. And I hope you heard, as the students were talking this morning, the emphasis in spiritual gifts. And as soon as the students got there on Sunday night, they took a spiritual gifts inventory. Uh, 77 questions. Again, on the first night, um, boom, welcome to camp. There's no easing you in to fly beyond. You're there, and it's uh, wheels on the ground, and you're running. And students were able to discover their spiritual gifts and how God has gifted them, how has he has equipped them. And we had breakout sessions on a couple of the evenings where they got to dive a little bit deeper into some of those spiritual giftings. And uh, we, we, those breakout sessions focused on what those gifts look like in a practical sense. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't taken a spiritual gifts inventory, if you uh, don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I'd encourage you to take one of those. If you need one, I think I've got a couple extra in my office that we actually did as a youth group earlier uh, this year. But God gives us grace and he gives us his gifts. And then it also talks about in, in verse 12, Um, that through his outfitting, we hone our efforts to make gains, to make spiritual gains. Paul says that God gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. (laughs) Oftentimes when we we hear the word saint, what comes to mind? 
that Roman Catholic picture of a saint, right? And this super holy person to whom we have to pray to to receive blessings and things like that. But that's not how the Bible uses the word saint. Uh, a saint is anybody who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who has been made new, a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if you are here as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a, as a child of God, you are a saint. And that's kind of cool to think of, isn't it? That you are a saint. And you're a saint, again, because of Christ and because of the cross. And Paul says that these gifts were given to equip the saints. And the word equip is a very, very fun word. Uh, it means to provide all of the necessary gear. The Roman army would equip their soldiers, giving them the gear that they needed that was necessary. The helmet, the, the chain mail, or the thick leather, uh, swords and spears, uh, shoes, uh, those little kilt type things that they would wear, right? All of these things the Roman army would give their soldiers. And the Romans, with their paid army, uh, with the supplied gear that they had to be successful, uh, were... were would wipe out any peasant army that they came across that was armed with uh, maybe a sickle for cutting grain and maybe a, uh, an axe if they were lucky or a spear that they carved on the way to battle. The Roman soldiers were well equipped, well supplied to take care of what they needed to take care of. And because of that, they won many battles. When we think of this word equip, we might think of the word outfit, to outfit somebody and uh, again, this week we get to go to the Boundary Waters. There are a handful of us uh, from Saltines who are going to the Boundary Waters and we are working with an outfitter who will supply gear for us. The canoes that we need, the, the life jackets that we need, the paddles, those sorts of things, tents, all of those things we are being provided for. Equipping the saints God providing all the necessary gear that we need, that you need, for the work of ministry. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And God gave these gifts. The, uh, the, he gave grace, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, along with the various spiritual gifts. God gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the reality is... The pastor cannot do all the ministry outreach in the church alone. It takes the whole congregation, the body of Christ, working together. And this, I think, is something Maranatha does very well. Uh, yesterday, uh, last night, was a perfect example of that, right? With the parade and the picnic that we had here, the cowboy church service, I had about zero planning of that. And Lloyd, I think you were probably about the same as well. There are those on the worship board and others as well who came alongside and, and helped those ministries. So thank you for using your gifts as God has called you to. VBS is another area like that where the church comes together to do the work of ministry. It's nothing that I do by myself. It's nothing Pastor Lloyd does all by himself. But this is you guys as a congregation coming together, using your gifts and your talents and your abilities for the work of ministry. The reality is that so often you are the best tool for reaching the lost and hurting around you. 
You are God's chosen instrument for those sorts of things. He says, this all happens, he says, for the building up of the body. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body. And it's a, it's a two-fold building up. Uh, first and foremost, it's, it's building up by addition. As the gospel is shared, as the good news goes forward, people believe in Jesus, they, they're ushered into the family of God, and they become his children. Um, that's how the body is built up. But it's also built up by strengthening. As we spend time in God's word, our faith is deepened. It's like when you, uh, when you work out, right, and you, uh, you go to the gym and you lift weights, right? Are, are new muscle groups added? Do you, do you grow second biceps over your first biceps? No, right? You strengthen the ones that you have. And the body of, of Christ is built up in that way as we are equipped, as we are strengthened, as we grow. And all of that growth takes time, takes dedication, Paul says in in verse 13 and 14, he he gives us some goals. And he says, by his strength, whoops, by his strength, we fix our eyes on achieving the goal. And there are four goals there that Paul says for us in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul would have us as Christians be united. United in faith, united in knowledge, united in, in a common confession of him. Earlier in verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He gives this common confession. He says, There is one body, that is the church, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This was how Paul summarized the faith. This was the common confession that he wanted the Ephesians to hold to. And today we're we're united in our common confession as we say the Apostles' Creed, right? The Apostles' Creed, and I could could give sermons on the Apostles' Creed. It's so beautiful, and it's one of my favorite parts of confirmation. But the Apostles' Creed is something that we say say here, uh, not just for rote or for habit, but to ingrain those words in us because they teach the basics of the faith, the, the basics that we need really to call ourselves Christians. And when somebody asks you, what do you believe? You can say, well, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And you get to describe what that is, describe the vastness of the creation that God has created and, and what that looks like. But then you get to go more personal and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, and go on from there. And Paul says that we are to be united around that common confession. And it's not just a a head knowledge or an intellectual assent, but it's a personal, experiential knowledge where you know for sure your Lord and your Savior. Another goal that Paul would want for us as Christians is to be mature. To, to mature, right, means to physically grow, to physically develop. 
And I was thinking about it this way. If in five years, right, Cademan is the same size and weight, the same level of development and uh, babbling that he is now, right? Is something wrong with him? Very much so, right? The doctor would say that something's seriously wrong, that he needs help growing. He's not physically developing. He's maturing in the way he's supposed to. The doctor would probably prescribe some sort of growth hormone for Cademan and make sure that he's eating and, and eating healthy so he can grow and mature. And the same thing could be said about our spiritual development as well. If you're in the same spot spiritually now as you were five years ago, or just pick a different number, right? Three years ago, one month ago, whatever, right? If you're at the same spot spiritually, there's something wrong. If you haven't learned anything new about Jesus or the Bible, if you haven't drawn closer to him through his word, if you haven't gotten to know him better in the last weeks and months, if you're, if you're still feeding off Bible verses that you learned as a, as a VBS student, it's an indication that there might be something spiritually wrong and God needs to do a work in your heart. Not that we don't ever leave the basics of Jesus loves me, this I know, right? But we continue to build on those truths and grow in those things. We're also, Paul says, uh, transformed. Uh, And that's what this has to do with here, this phrase in verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's a mouthful, isn't it? Even for me as a pastor, and to, to think through that, and it stumped me for a while. And so I went to the Greek. I pulled up my Greek translation, and then I translated the Greek. And it said the same thing. So this is a literal translation of the Greek. I looked at other translations as well. This is the ESV, and so I pulled out you know, my trusty King James, and it said the same thing. I looked at the New American Standard, the NIV, the CSB, and some others, and they all said the same thing. And I looked at the NLT, the New Living Translation, it said this, so that we measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So we would measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. A standard is a basis of comparison or a gauge, right? And so Jesus Christ is our pattern, our guide, our basis of comparison, I also looked at the uh, International Children's Bible, and it paraphrased it this way. We must grow until we become like Christ and have all of his perfection. So there it is, kind of in in plain English. Uh, The goal is to become like Christ, to become like Christ. And we become like Christ when we become new creations in him. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if anybody is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But we also become um, more like Christ as he works on our hearts and our lives through his word. We are like clay in the hands of the potter as he molds us, as he shapes us, as he removes all of the stuff in our lives that doesn't conform to what he would have for us. And this is all his work in our lives. This isn't something that we try for, that we strive for, but this is his gracious work in our lives, transformed into the image of Christ. And then finally, the final goal is that Paul says that so we might be anchored, so we be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves. 
An anchor holds a boat in place, doesn't it? Whether it's your own fishing boat or whether it's one of these great big aircraft carriers, an anchor's job is to hold you in place. And when the storms of life come, when the trials of life come, when the loved one passes away, when a job dries up and you lose your employment, when the weather doesn't cooperate and you have terrible harvests, right? When those storms of life come, Christ holds us anchored. Believers are to be anchored in Christ. He holds us fast in those storms of life. The fourth thing we looked at this last week is that in his love, in his love, we direct our energy to grow in Christ. How are we to grow in Christ? Paul says this way in verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way to him who is the head that is in Christ. Speaking the truth in love. And the notion of truth is under attack today, isn't it, right? There are those who say there's no absolute truth. There are those who say that truth is relative. I think it was Oprah who is is credited with coining the phrase, your truth, right? Uh, It comes out in uh, the phrase, you do you, right? What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Truth is under attack. But truth is absolute. Truth is invariable. It is fixed. It is unalterable, right? There are some things that are true that no matter what we want to think about them, they're true, right? Maranatha is located at 101 Foundation Avenue in Glendon, Minnesota. The sun is 93 million miles away. Snow is white. I know we don't want to think about that right now, but I I like snow. So (laughs) that's one of the truths that I was thinking of this last week. Truth is absolute. Truth is also knowable. And God has revealed truth through our conscience, through science, through religion, and through the moral law. But those are all flawed guides because of sin and human corruption. But we know the truth and the truth, Jesus Christ, through the word of God. And we can hold fast to his truth and we can cling to his truth. What was it Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Speaking the truth in love, Paul says. Love is unconditional. It is self-sacrificing. We get to speak the truth in love. And, And we need both truth and love as we speak these things. There are two dangers that emerge if we don't speak the truth in love. Truth without love can result in legalism and and becoming, frankly, a jerk, right? Forcing your ideas, your opinions down people's throats. Uh, When we're speaking the truth without love, sometimes there's, there's no room for error, no room for mistakes, no rooms for God's grace and forgiveness to work and reign. And oftentimes when we, when we love without telling the truth, that can result in relativism and to put it in today's language, being woke. This happens when love is emphasized to the exclusion of truth. And that side can say there is no such thing as truth or it can say things like, well, the Bible was written so long ago, it can't be true anymore, those sorts of things. And Christians, we need both. We need to speak the truth but yet do it in love. Telling the truth about Jesus and his word, taking a a self-sacrificial stand for Jesus and his word. Truth 
in love. And Paul says we are to grow up in love. We learned this week that each part of the body of Christ is valuable. Each part of the body of Christ is valuable. We need each piece of the body of Christ, uh, just like a human body, right? If, if the human body were all eyeballs and no ears, <laughs> if the human body were all mouths and no noses, right, that would be no human body, right? That would be something abnormal. The church needs each one of you as we carry out the ministry, as we carry out the mission. And Paul says as well, kind of in verse 16, if one part of the body suffers, the whole thing does as well. The body doesn't work properly when we break a bone, when we uh, twist a joint, when, when cancer happens. The, the body is damaged, and when that happens, your body doesn't work right. It's the same thing in the church. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one of you suffers, we all suffer. We need each other as we go through life. We are, as Paul says in verse 16, joined and held together. Believer, you cannot go through life alone. You need other Christians to be with you, Christians who will join you and hold you together. The final thing this morning is... uh, is, uh, comes actually from the book of Matthew, from the gospel of Matthew. Empowered by his spirit, we go into the harvest fields. We won't take time to read this. I'd encourage you, though, if you have time today, read Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It talks about how Jesus went into all the cities and villages, preaching, teaching, proclaiming the gospel, having compassion on people. And as he goes, he sees that the crowds are helpless and in need of 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 a shepherd they didn't have that the pharisees added rules to the people but they needed somebody to be there and have compassion on them and so jesus was there for those people and then also in these verses he calls us to go out into the harvest fields right Uh, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send laborers into his vineyard Harvest is crunch time, right? When the harvest comes, do farmers sit around and wait, twiddling their thumbs, playing Angry Birds on their phone or Minecraft? (laughs) No, when it's time for the harvest, the the farmers are out there in the field getting it off. And Jesus says there's a plentiful harvest, not not of wheat, not of grain, but he's talking about souls, a harvest of souls. 100% of the people you meet will die and will face judgment. And somebody needs them to tell them about Jesus. Would that person be you? We're called always to be ready for, for making a defense for Jesus. Always be ready. The Lord needs laborers in his harvest field. And just as we, as we think of, of all of this from Ephesians chapter 4, as we think of this last week that we had at uh, Fly Beyond, uh, I want to leave you with this thought. Um, Gen Z, right, the current generation, Gen Z, they get a lot of flack for being Gen Z, right? Sorry, but that's just the way it is, right? Stereotypes of being lazy, being flakes, being glued to their cellular cellular devices. But I've seen Gen Z this week in action, and there are a lot of positive things to celebrate. I think think this next generation is going to be fine. Remember, they're not the future of the church. They are the church. And like, like everyone, uh, boomers included, 
Gen Z has some rough edges that still need to be refined, right? But God is continuing to lead them. The master potter is still shaping his clay. He's still holding them fast in the storms of life. He's sending them out into the harvest fields. And I think we have a lot to celebrate with this coming generation. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, again, I thank you for this last week that we had at Fly Beyond and the wonderful things that you've been doing and will continue to do in students, Lord. And I pray that uh, even today as we've looked very quickly at Ephesians chapter 4 and what you have been calling us to through your word, Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen us, embolden us, and empower us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with our friends, with our neighbors, with those you've put in our spheres of influence, Lord. We pray that not only only for uh, this coming generation, Gen Z, but also for (laughs) the boomers and the millennials and and the rest uh, within our midst as well. Lord, that we would be ready wherever we go to share the gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.